Welcome to the Dental Business Podcast with your host and owner of multiple businesses, a mentor, investor, and dental surgeon, Brad Thornton. All right, so welcome back, everybody. Um, Today, we've got a guest who works in my practice, um, so I've known her for a little while. When I list the things that she's done or achieved in her career so far, you'll you'll assume she's a 50-year-old woman because the list is quite extensive and quite broad-ranging. She's the person who's editing the new Oxford Clinical uh, Handbook, the Bible, as I was told it when I went into uh, dental school. Uh, she's on the advisory board for the FMC. She's done things with dentinal tubules. She's arranged national conferences for those. Um, she's worked with multiple businesses. She's just found out today that she's won the Fast Track 4 and among other things. So I'm really happy to have her on. I managed to drag her out of surgery to have a chat up in my office. <laughs> uh, sorry, my studio. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to try and get under the skin a little bit because like I said, I've known her for a while. When she came for her interview, she stood out a lot because even though she'd not been graduated for long, you can... In a way, people are dentists, people have got CVs. You know, nowadays, the qualifications people have seem to be increasing year on year and people are getting postgraduate this and diplomas for that. In the end, you know that people are going to hopefully be doing the the self-development stuff and improving and getting more experience, but you can't teach somebody the way they think and the the mindset they've got and the drive that they've got. And that's what stood out with, with our guest, who is Bethany Rushworth. Hello, thank you very much for having me. That was a very flattering introduction. Thank I know, you. yeah. Um, so, I mean, we spoke a little bit just now and we were talking about, I mean, we'll go straight into this because yeah. this was something I wanted to touch on. And when I first met you, and ever since as well, you know, mm. when we're working together day to day and, yeah. and we'd discuss things between patients and at lunch or whatever, you always seem to be quite well put together and you seem to be quite in charge of your emotions and you seem to be quite good at controlling stress and managing all of that. Yeah. Um, now you just told me that that's been a quite a work in progress and mm, you seem to definitely. have adapted. Yeah. Um, do you want to kind of maybe give us a little mm. bit more about that then? Yeah, I think dentistry is quite stressful and we definitely don't need to sort of labour the point that most people working in dentistry will have, that will have an impact on their stress levels. Um, as a student, I felt quite overwhelmed you go from being at school to being the top in the year effectively because you have to be to get the grades to get into dental school you have to be achieving academically and you go from being quite sort of successful to average overnight so you start university you're average and it suddenly seems like everyone else is managing better than you um the pass mark is now 40 percent, whereas you've been striving for 90 percent, and you just overall feel quite average like people are managing what's going on, including emotions, stress levels, and clinically. And you're constantly being compared to one another, which I don't really think ever ends, even when you leave university. As you've said about people getting more and more qualifications, it's becoming more competitive in general. And I think I sort of identified and acknowledged really early on at university that the way I was coping with things and the way I was rationalising the day-to-day stresses of working in dentistry, whether that as a student or now, um, I needed to take action and I was it was taking over me the levels of stress and it's preventing me enjoying the clinical side of the work and also 
my spare time because I had no ability to separate work and life. Um, as a dentist, I, again, I think that life and work can go hand in hand. Your spare time socially, you're often spending a lot of time with the dentist. Um, WhatsApp groups, you're always discussing cases and trying to improve courses, weekends. Most people will go abroad at some point and it's probably for a conference. So it can become quite all consuming. So like I said, early on, I tried to identify areas which I was struggling in and things that bothered me and develop coping strategies. So I feel like now it's a much more organic way of coping with things because I've actually almost conditioned myself and trained myself for it to become more natural. So I have a genuine ability to deal with these stresses, but it's definitely taken practice and working with sort of well-known strategies rather than just figuring it out as I went along. Yeah, so the way you've developed or you've you worked on mechanisms yeah. that, that were conscious yeah. and now it's it's less conscious. Yes. It's like a subconscious response. You tend to, yeah. you, know, you, you kind of, because in the end it's, it's a physical reaction, isn't it? You know, your yes. heart rate goes up, you feel as though, you know, I yeah. can feel something. And that was getting out of control. I right. was finding the, that, the physical symptoms of stress quite overwhelming and regular. It was happening yeah. frequently. And I had to identify what's causing this, what are the triggers and how can I overcome this? And initially it was quite a lot of trial and error. So some things work for me, some things don't, which may work for you or for someone else. And a lot of time was spent YouTube videos, reading yeah. books, personal development, reading up online and just sort of immersing myself as much as I possibly could outside of my studies in different strategies and seeing what would work for me. And is, is that an ongoing thing for you now? So do you, I know on one of your Instagram posts, yeah. you put something about meditation. Yeah. So that's an active thing you do right now. So yes. these, these techniques you still work on Yeah, I think, now, it, I think it, you always you know, will. Yeah. I think it's a, as I grow and develop, there will be different stresses and different pressures and there'll be different ways. I'm always learning. There's yeah. always going to be something new, even working in private practice that comes with its own different stresses. So maybe time isn't as much of a pressure, but perhaps expectations are or discussing money with patients. So there's often new things coming out of the woodwork that will concern me and I'm going to have to learn to overcome and um, even responsibilities increasing. So I do think it's something which is going to be a lifelong journey. And for most yeah. people, it will be unless you have no emotions or no stresses. I think yeah. you have to adapt and it'll be continuous. That's it. I think with, um, and we said this earlier as well, I think with growth comes more challenge because you don't get rid of problems. You experience other ones. You know, if you're a, an associate and then you buy a practice, that comes with its own challenge. Once you've gone from a certain level of dental work, you mm. become qualified to do another type that's yeah. a higher ticket, higher value, more complex. Mm. You know, you're less concerned about the problems of the past, but you've, you're encountering other ones, aren't you? Yeah. And I suppose that's a byproduct of, you know, ambition as well, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it'd be interesting, you know, when you're talking about certain stresses, do you think that because you're ambitious and you, you know, I'm assuming you've got goals that you've set yourself, do you think that it's a measure of you to where you feel you are supposed to be? You know, does that, do you put pressure yeah. on yourself with what you yeah. want to achieve? I think um, a huge one for me is perception of me and how other people perceive me and, I want everyone at work to be happy. And if I've done something where I think, oh, was that misinterpreted? Did I offend someone or did that sound bossy? Or I can find that my, I have, 
I'm much better. I don't really care if people don't like me as a person because I've not hurt anyone. So I'm, from my point of view now, if someone doesn't like the way I look, the way I speak, what I'm doing, it really doesn't bother me. And again, that's taken practice and focus on its own. But if I think that I've actually upset somebody, that really bothers me. So my awareness of myself and the pressures I put on myself to sort of be perceived as doing everything right all the time, not just clinically, but outside of that, is definitely something which, yeah, you're right, is a factor of that, is yeah. the pressure I put on myself. And I'm getting quite a lot better at just being like, well, whatever, I'll learn yeah. from this and improve next time. That's it. It's that kind of, you know, this is me, this is where I am, mm. you know. Because you're, one. I mean, another thing I want to talk about was how you're developing your own personal brand as well. Mm. <clears throat> and I know people... You've got this real conflict in dentistry at the moment, or what I perceive to be a bit of a conflict between people who think that trying to do things on Instagram and build up a personal brand isn't the way it should be. And, you know, the age of the influencer, even mm. though it's a very real thing, in dentistry, it shouldn't apply. Mm. And it's not it's not right. But then you've got other people that I think are harnessing it and using it for good, mm. um, which I think you are, yeah. uh, and I do. And I mean, I'm a quite, I'm a big advocate of personal brand development. And, and I made a joke earlier in another episode saying how, you know, I'm a guy that's just set up my own personal Instagram. I talk mm. about personal brand, but I'm just doing it. And I like, a, I think you're my sixth follower. I think that's <laughs> I knew you my first one. Yeah, um, I was there from the beginning. I know. Um, but I think, you know, when, when you're developing your personal brand, because you're of a certain age where you grew up with social media mm. rather than being introduced to it a little bit older. Mm. Do you think that one of the reasons that the younger dentists have embraced it more is just because they understand it more and understand its yeah. significance? Yeah, I think it's it's really difficult to get the balance right because you don't want to be seen to be showing off, yet you want to be showing what you've achieved. Mm. Um, you want to be selling yourself in terms of patients trusting you. And obviously, it's always great to be getting more patients, more people aware of you, but you don't want to be seen to be selling. So it's really hard to get the balance right. And because I've been brought, for me, Instagram's been there from the majority of my adulthood. Um, same with Facebook. So for as long as I can sort of remember, it's been a part of day-to-day -day life. I think our generation is more accepting of it and more generations to come will be. And personally, if I'm looking to have my hair done or to go somewhere like a restaurant, I'll always look if there's an Instagram page because that's got people's sort of people who've been there's photos. And for me, that's a really good way of finding out information about someone and what they are providing. I definitely think there are some issues, even the way it's being used by my generation, um, in terms of editing photos and after results, you can quite easily twist things. So say you could give me a, an award for being the best dentist in the practice called Beth. And then I can put on my Instagram award-winning dentist. So it's not necessarily verified. And I think there is definitely some areas which we need to be really careful with because patients are coming in saying, oh, I've seen these teeth on Instagram or this person from Love Island. And mm -hmm. some dentists are exacerbating this problem, in my opinion, by sharing work they've done maybe on these patients, but not making it clear what's involved in the maintenance required. Yeah. It's giving patients sort of unrealistic expectations. Yeah. I suppose, you know, with any business, for a business to succeed, you do have to adapt to the market a certain mm. extent. And, it, yeah. you know, people are wanting bonding and they mm -hmm. are coming in, wanting teeth exactly the same length and yeah. square and mm -hmm. this. And, you know, um, I suppose it's always hard generally trying to balance that between what the patient wants and what you know as a clinician. So I, I appreciate that. 
And do you think when you were talking about, you know, if you like evolution and getting yourself out there and brand building thing, are you getting more stress as the your brand is increasing? Does that make sense? So, you know, you're talking about how you want to be perceived a certain yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Um, the more eyes you have on you, do you feel that extra pressure to... Yeah, it go- I think it goes in waves, like ups and downs. So there was sort of a period of time where I felt like, what am I going to do next? Because I've done all this stuff and I'm not quite experienced enough or don't really have the qualifications maybe to do certain clinical teaching, but then I may be becoming less relevant to people at university. The further I get in my career, the less relevant I will be to them. So sometimes you do think, hang on, what am I doing? What's my identity? What's my target audience almost? Um, So then that became a little bit stressful, but then you sort of find your feet somewhere else. And I think going with it and accepting it's dynamic and it's fluid and there will be times where you do feel a little bit of pressure. And whenever I post a photo, I'm careful in terms of posting cases because you don't want to start doing a big rambly passage like this patient can't open the mouth very wide, so that's why it's not very good. You have to be sort of aware that what you post online is going to be open to criticism. But so in answer to your question, I do think it comes in waves. So there's times where I feel more pressure, um, but ultimately it's just Instagram. Yeah. And I know I'm not doing anything harmful, hurtful. Anything I post on there is sort of genuine. So if someone has a problem with that, it's more their problem, really. (laughs) Um, And you were starting up, I mean, when you're talking about, if we go backwards slightly, when you're talking about the the stress management techniques, have you got specific things that you do? Yeah. Would you like to share that about how you manage that? There's a really great book called The Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters and sort of looking at the way your mind works in terms of you've got an area which is controlled and rational and the brain which you um, can think things through with and process information and then you have a chimp and the chimp is sort of irrational, out of control. It's your initial reaction to, oh, I'm really annoyed with this person and I just want to roll my eyes at them or shout or whatever, punch them in the face if you're aggressive and that book was really, really helpful to me because it made me a lot more aware of, it's sort of in more detail on the psychology behind these behaviours and thought patterns. And it made me a lot more aware of my chimp in the way yeah. he phrases it, in that my initial reaction to stuff is what I needed to work on. And being able to almost treat your mind as two different categories. And if something stresses me or upsets me, think, right, that's your chimp's reaction, that's fine. Your chimp's going in a cage for a minute while your computer thinks this through and that works really well for me so we'll use an example of patient complaint initial thought is panic someone's not happy that's it my career's over I'm gonna lose my job everyone hates me it's so irrational but those thoughts in a millisecond can go through your mind so putting that in the cage so to speak and then thinking through right okay what's actually happened here what can be done what is the absolute worst case scenario and is that even likely to happen because I think it's really common in dentists, but in sort of high stress jobs in general and professions that you, your perceived risk is actually different to the actual risk of something happening. So, um, and also the perceived consequence is different to the perceived consequence is different to the actual consequence. So for example, someone complaining, it's, we may perceive that as a high risk of a really bad consequence, yeah. when actually it's a low risk of a really bad consequence. And it's probably much like more likely it's going to be fine. So implementing the things from that book i'd recommend it to anybody who's having any kind of stress 
just to help yeah. him rationalize things. And um, meditation is something which I've started doing much more recently. In the past, I struggled to understand what meditating was and what mindfulness was. And I would tend to sit there maybe with some relaxing music on, thinking about the things I was stressed about. Yeah. So if anything, it was just quiet time for me to stress more. So I use Headspace and Calm, um, which are both really great sort of guided meditation and mindfulness apps. And also just on YouTube, um, there's some really good guided meditations. Mm. For me, I have to use a guided meditation. I can't just sit in a quiet room because my, I do get carried away with my own thoughts. So having something structured, which says to you, think about this, imagine that, visualize that, that really helps. Um, also factoring into my schedule time for me, which is non-negotiable. So I'm getting a lot better at saying I'm going on holiday today. So I will sort this when I get back. Whereas yeah. in the past, I felt like no one could wait. I had to do everything straight away for everybody. I'm getting a lot, a lot better now at saying, actually, no, this is time I need for me to make sure I'm in a good place to then provide good treatment and contribute back effectively. Yeah. Because I get asked to do quite a lot of things. So write this article, can you speak at this? And initially I would say yes to everything because I couldn't really afford to say no. Um, whereas now I'm, I've worked hard to be in a position where I can be a bit more selective of the things which I say yes to. And doing that, I think, takes practice because you don't want to turn away an opportunity. But it's really good for you to say no when you need to. And I give realistic timeframes. So I won't say, yes, I'll have this written by tomorrow if it's not essential, it's written by tomorrow and it's going to um, sort of add to the stress levels. So I'm quite good at prioritising and saying no. Yeah. I think uh, you touched on something there that I've suffered with before and it's about, it's patient specific when mm. you've got a case in and they have a, their time frame. Yep. You've got yours, you're doing something, going away, you need to leave it or whatever, whatever you need yep. to do. And you find yourself sacrificing your own well-being should yeah. we say to enable you to do something to help somebody else which is yeah. a really you know i'm sure it, on paper it's a very nice quality to have mm. but you know for years i would stay much later than i was supposed to yeah. i'd come in extra mm. and, and really go out of your way and i think saying no and and actually giving yourself permission yeah to not work can yes. be quite hard and i've done the same as you you know because you know we've got our little one-year-old now yeah and sometimes on a Sunday, I used to get frustrated if I didn't do something work-related. Mm. You know, I felt like the day, you know, whereas in my mind now, and I might even diarise it or actually make it official, that'll be a family time. Yeah. So as strange as it may sound to some, when I'm playing with my son, I've given myself permission to just switch off yeah. from work. You know, I do think what you've said, and that touched on another thing that I wanted to talk about as well. You know, how do you compartmentalize your day so it sounds like if you're putting time aside is it literally in a diary where you say you know this is work and then on saturday i'm doing sod all yeah i'm spending time yeah is that yeah. what you do it's literally yeah. in the diary yeah. yeah and well i have i have a file of facts and but other yeah exactly. <laughs> but other brands of diaries are available <laughs> and um <clears throat> excuse me i find it really <laughs> helpful for me to also to reassure me that I have time to get everything done because if you're not writing these things down and you just have a really long to-do list you think oh, how am I going to get this done and you yeah. kind of just work and work and work whereas for me I've got quite good at knowing how long something will take me so if I'm writing an article or a paper or as an average I know how long that will take me to do so I factor that in 
And I'm no longer afraid to ask for extensions if I need one. I'm not saying be ridiculous and never get things done on time. But if it's something I'm doing voluntarily or to help someone else, I'll say to them, I'm really busy right now. So like some of the mentoring I've been doing in terms of for students and for young dentists, um, part of the plan was we were going to work through different topics each week for eight weeks. And I'm going away next week. And I was getting myself worked up thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to get back to these email, like help this person. And ultimately it's not going to make a difference to their life if on this one day, this email isn't discussed. Um, So I just got in touch with them and this is, it's all learning for me still. And just said, can we postpone this for a week? And when I get back, I feel we've, obviously I'll be refreshed, but then I'm giving them my full attention rather than adding stress onto my holiday, which yeah. is say a week a year. In terms of when you wake up in the morning then, yep. how do you dictate your day? So that'll vary. And something which, so I, I watched quite a lot of videos and read about so Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning. And um, I think I've got the author book combination right there. And it sounds amazing. It's like wake up at five, do your 20 minutes of exercise, your 20 minutes of yeah, affirmations. affirmations yeah. And in on paper, that's all great. But my partner works from home and he has uh, quite a physically, sort of he's walking around all day and he's quite active and quite stimulated during his day. And he doesn't, he's not able to sort of go to sleep as early as me or as early as I would need to, to get up at 5am. But he also wouldn't need to based on the time he starts work. So as a team for us, if I was getting up at 5am, I'd be having to go to sleep like three hours earlier than him. And then we wouldn't have quality time as a couple. So initially when I was listening to that, I was like, yeah, great, positive day, like achieving loads, really productive. Um, And then I had to sort of take a step back and think, well, actually I'm really happy and I am having positive days. And some days will be better than others because I'm a human and I'm already being really productive. So do I need to compromise on my three hours in the evening with my partner to get up three hours early or whatever it would be just to follow this book or this guide? And that's something I've been really guilty of sort of my whole life is I'm very all or nothing and I love following a plan or a system. And for me, I couldn't say, oh, I'm off tomorrow morning, so I'll get up and go for a run. It would have to be, no, I run at seven o'clock every single day. And I'm becoming much better at adapting as day by day. So I don't have a specific morning routine that I do every single day. I have tried that, but I didn't feel like the sacrifices, which inevitably come with that, were necessarily worth it for me. So you have quite a good morning routine, don't you? You have more of a system. Yeah, so I I do get up quite early. Mm. So I'm a 5, 5.30 riser, but I've always been a morning person. And I tend, you know, one in a hundred mornings, my alarm will wake me up. The rest of I mean, to be fair, the rest of them, Theo's probably waking me up. But, <laughs> but um, a lot of times I'll just come around anyway. So for me, this whole idea of eating, eating the frog, getting up, doing the thing that is the least enjoyable thing that you want to do that day mm. and making sure that I'm setting myself up. Because for me, mentally, my day's dictated by my morning, my week's dictated by my Monday and, and everything mm. is the, the, how, the, how it begins yeah. is how it ends. But I suppose with you talking about the chimp paradox, you're controlling your chimp by making sure that they know what the structure is. Yeah. So you're less likely to lose that side of you, yeah. you know. So in general, I'll get up, um, have breakfast. We've got quite a nice view from my flat, which is really, I find it really relaxing. It's sort of just across the city centre effectively. And I usually make myself a cup of tea first thing in the morning with the looking out. And I just find that quite calming 
think about the day and I try I write things down before I go to bed. So if there's anything that's worrying yeah. me, I write it down. And then I know, I say to myself, this is another strategy. Is, Beth, this is written down. You can't do anything about this right now. You don't need to think about this now because you are going to deal with this tomorrow. So even if it's something I need to think of a solution, I say to myself, it's fine. It's on your piece of paper. You'll think of a solution tomorrow. And having that there helps me sort of sleep. Yeah. And then in the morning I can look at that and think, right, what do I need to address today? Yeah, can I just acknowledge what you've just said? Because yeah. that is such a good technique. And I always assumed that other people knew about that because mm. that's something that happens with me. And it's my typical, you know, it used to be a typical 2 a.m. thing. I'd wake yeah. up, I'd nip to the loo and then boof. I call it quarter to 12 brain. <laughs> that's it. It's like quarter all, to 12. all of a sudden it's like, right, yeah. now's the time I'm going to try and deal with all of yeah. this. You'll and not think about it all day. You'll be like, why have I not thought about this all day? It's quarter to 12, I'm in bed, and now and then bang. <laughs> I need to sort it. <laughs> yeah. It's because your, your head goes horizontal and your brain switches on. That's yeah. what it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I did that. It's like taking a little segment of my brain and popping on a piece of paper. Yeah. And you always you almost say, right, okay, I know that's done. Yeah. I'm not going to forget that because I think that was an issue for me. It was like, crap, am I going to forget this? Yeah. So you write it down. Um, and then you can keep it, reminding yourself if you if those thoughts start coming back into your head as you're trying to relax or sleep, no, it's on the paper. You're dealing with it tomorrow. Yeah. And I just keep saying that to myself. No, it's on the paper. Yeah. Or your post-it note. I've got a little pile of post-it notes. And like, no, it's on the post-it note. And I'll wake up in the morning more often than not, see the post-it note and be like, who's that what? Oh, yeah. why was that a problem last night? Exactly. And it's, it's a completely yeah. new issue. So trying not to sort of dwell on it and knowing that it's going to get dealt with. Nothing I've ever worried about in my whole life has ever happened. Yeah. Things have ha- bad things have happened, but they're not things that I'd worried about or expected. And um, there's a line in the song, um, is it Baz Lohman's Always Wear Sunscreen? Right. And yeah. he says, um, the things that you worry about won't happen. What the things, there's something will come along and blindside you on a Tuesday afternoon when you least expect it. Yeah. And it's like part of a song or a poem kind of thing. And it's really true. When something actually bad happens, it's often not what you've been worrying about. Yeah. And I'll get myself worked up, like, oh, that patient's in next, they hate the crown, and this is a problem. And then the patient comes in and goes, oh, no, I've looked in the mirror at home and I really like it. Yeah. And I've spent all morning all yeah. worrying about it. So I've got, again, when I write things on my piece of paper, I think things you've worried about have never really happened. So if one of them does, then it's just the first time, so fine. Yeah. And I've become a bit more accepting that there will be stresses. But most of the time, things work out fine. And I think whenever you look back and, you know, with the gift of hindsight and you're looking at just, even if you look at your whole life, yeah. actually, from where you are right now, there's very little ever that has real impact on you as you yeah. are right now. There's never anything. I totally agree. That was, I don't know if it was an interview I've done or something I've written. I've discussed this recently where I have the five second five minute, five hour, five week, five day, five week, five month rule. Basically it's like the rule of fives. And I, if there's something that's really bothering me, I think to myself, how long will this bother me for? And how long will this affect me for? In five years, um, and I work backwards. So I think in 50 years, this is going to bother me. Obviously not because that random person who rolled their eyes at me, I'm not going to remember five years five months and I work all the way down to when I realistically think this will still bother me and it's such a good way of rationalizing something and allowing me to allocate an appropriate and proportionate amount of stress so even if it's something to do with a friend say someone's let you down and I feel myself getting worked up or something feels unfair because I'm 
really a stickler for things being fair and I don't mind if things are don't go my way whatever fine but things have to be fair and if that's getting me stressed I'll think is this going to bother me in five five weeks no is it going to bother me in five days probably not five hours maybe I'll feel a bit irritated and then you can always laugh at yourself if you think right I've got this stressed about something that won't even bother me in five hours yeah it'll be the past so I find that's another good technique for myself it might not work for everyone um I guess you could do it in twos rather than fives but as a way of allowing me to sort of appropriately allocate stress yeah I think that's a good exercise for most people to do whenever something is stressing them out and I think even when people are looking back right now if they're listening and saying right you know what has happened because everything in life happens for you not to you it 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 creates who you are Mm. even the worst things in life you know if you look at it it's how you perceive that event how it's the emotions that you draw from it so if you treat everything as a a way to grow and a way Mm. to adapt and evolve then you take from it what you can yeah and you don't let it take from you and I think I honestly cannot think of anything and obviously with life things happen you know you know death of family member real extreme extreme things but the reality is that with time nothing has that massive an impact so day-to-day patients treatment the dental professionals, everything that you experience, mm. you know that it's not going to be that impactful. Yeah. Even really. if you get struck off, there are other yeah. jobs in the world outside dentistry. And it's obviously the worst case scenario, it's sort of the worst thing a dentist could imagine is going to happen. But there are alternatives. That is the worst yeah. that's going to happen yeah. is you need you get a different job. And something which I've tried really hard to do from day one, which I spoke about on one of the Wesleyan panels is... Um, again, it's all about sort of appropriate allocation in this podcast, but appropriately allocating how much money I want to spend that I can sustain my lifestyle. And I've not got myself into debt or a massive mortgage and a lifestyle where I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I'm not a dentist, I can't sustain this. I lose everything. Yeah. I, I wouldn't lose everything. And I've been careful to live within my means. And sort of, this is some advice which I give to students young dentists time and time again is try and live within your means and don't push yourself to the point where you have to be working six 12 hour days a week to sustain your lifestyle because then it does become very very stressful yeah there's so much resting on the one job yeah that is a big point especially for the younger dentists and Mm. students i think when you first get you know your associate paycheck you think bloody hell yeah but you're right if you You've got to plan for the future. It's often difficult to think about that. I talk about if you've read um, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, love that book. You know how he talks about asset liabilities, and he yeah. talks, about, you know, all about that. Your first year as an FD is all liabilities. Yeah, it's like Audi A one. I bought an Audi S five. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, four point two liter back when petrol was really expensive. But I was spending like a hundred quid a week. Three years later, when all of the leases finish, everyone's suddenly back on like mm. Ford Fiesta. It's not that there's anything wrong with that, but you just see the change <laughs> yeah. of everyone finishes uni and it's like living with mum and dad. No rent yeah. or low rent. I paid my parents like quite a low rent to stay at home. And then you're like, oh, that handbag which I've wanted for the last five years as a student. Yeah. And then you go into the real world the year after. It is important. I mean, it's hard to view that sometimes, but mm. um, I think it's good that you're doing that, you know, advising one-to-one mentoring mm. because I could have done with that. But then again, like we said before, everything happens for you, not to you. And if I, I was the opposite way around. So what I did, I spent more money and then worked harder to catch up. And my lifestyle 
adapted before my income did. So I sort of worked harder and harder, burned out after a few years with a really high NHS contract, mm. did a lot of, so I managed to get a huge amount of experience in a very short period mm. of time. But what that what that meant was that kind of jolted my nervous system into saying, right, I need to do something different. Mm. So I ended up buying a practice at 25, 26 mm. years old, which is where we are right now. And that, that, wouldn't, practice. that wouldn't have happened. Oh, <laughs> but uh, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't do that. So, yeah. you know. I really, I really believe everything happens for a reason. And again, I think things like you said before about death of a family member, I don't think we can put that in the same category and be like, yeah. oh, well, it's happened to make you stronger because it's just yeah. tragic. Um, but in terms of like, one I get all the time is what if I don't get this job and that national recruitment, foundation training, core training. And again, using that rule of fives, in five months even or five weeks, you're not still going to be crying over the fact you didn't get the job or it's just one year. And yeah. people even failing a year at uni and having to reset seemed like the worst thing that could ever happen when I was a student. Now I wouldn't be thinking about it. It'd be yeah. past, even though at the moment in the moment it would have been the worst possible thing. Yeah. And I was meant to be working in a different job when I finished my um, MaxFax job. Um, and that fell through right before I was due to start. And at the time, I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And it was so great. And this was going to happen and that. And then that obviously led to me applying for the job here. And it couldn't have been a better outcome. So yeah. it, it's, But at the time when I was sort of upset about the other job, I did this rule. And I said to myself, everything happens for a reason. There's something else that's meant to be for you that's going to happen and it did and in terms of goal setting then because obviously mm. you're speaking about that you got that you had a certain thing that you wanted to achieve and then it transshifted yeah have you had goals because you've got family that are dentists yeah Is my it, dad was a dentist dad, dad before a dentist. he retired yeah so i'm assuming you've wanted to be a dentist forever yeah since i was eight because i'm missing my lateral incisors that's my exciting dental story <laughs> <laughs> so i went to see an orthodontist called fiona and um I was around eight or nine because my laterals hadn't come through. And she was showing me all before and after pictures. And I was like, oh, Fiona's so cool. So Fiona Dyer, <laughs> my orthodontist, yeah. was what inspired me. Cause I never realised my dad was the same as that. Because for him, he would just look at our teeth and go, yeah, fine, bye. And yeah. it was different to what she showed me. And I thought, this is amazing. And I kind of just wanted to do what she did and be like that for the last and, 20 years. And have you... When you went into dentistry, did you certain have a certain ambition of what you wanted to do? I had no idea, to be honest. Um, I had no idea what it would actually be like, even though I'd been brought up in that environment. I didn't realise, even I worked as a dental nurse and on reception from being about 14, 15. So I've spent years before even going to university in that environment. I still had no idea what it would actually be like and to be in this position and the responsibility and what comes with it and I didn't know what I'd enjoy either and I was quite yeah. happy to keep an open mind I got experience in lots of different things as a student I was involved in like surgical society as well as doing restorative dentistry stuff so I was quite open-minded so I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do and I think that's fine have you uh, have you always been quite driven then because because yeah. I, I was just, I thought and asking that question that you would have or because you have done a lot Mm. you know do you think that's just a byproduct of being hard working yes that's just you've been hard working you've got a certain mindset and then just coincidentally opportunities come by and it's no coincidence it's because you are being hard working yeah. I say like say 20% of what you do will lead to something else and be recognized you just don't know which 20% so you I give 100% always and then 
you don't know which bits of that will come to something. I'm not saying I would, I'd do stuff to get something out of it. But for example, um, when I was in maybe second year of university, I was organising a conference and I came out of a meeting and where we'd been discussing the plan for the conference. And this man was looking at a map and he seemed really confused. And he was like, oh, I just don't know where we're going. And it was dark on campus. And he got two kids and I just went over and said, are you lost? Can I help you? And they were looking for the drama building, which was the other side of campus and really, really difficult to find. And I thought, I'm going to give him directions and he's still never going to find it. So I was really tired. But instead of going home, I walked, say, 10, 15 minutes across campus to show him where to go. And he's like, are you a student here? What are you doing? And I said, I was doing dentistry. And the little girl went, oh, my dad's a dentist. And um, it was Ian Wilson, who's Bridge to Aid founder. And um, he ended up speaking at the conference, which I'd organised. And... I had no idea he was a dentist. I didn't do yeah. that to get something out of it. But I really believe that what you give, things will come back. And there's probably 10 times where I've showed someone directions and taken them or gone out of my way. And I've forgotten about the other nine because nothing came of it. Yeah. And I've just remembered him as an example. But that was a prime example of just because I would consi- I would do that for anyone, maybe one day one person, something will come of it. So, And is, is that how you got, because I know you, the Oxford... Uh, the clinical handbook yep. of dentistry. That is that. I know that kind of came about. It's a longish story. Do we have time? Is it long? <laughs> <laughs> I can. I'll try and edit it. Yeah, <laughs> just, just show off my editing skills. <laughs> yeah. So um, I again was really interested in Max Vax and surgery and wanted to just get more experience. So in my spare time, I went to the MDT with one of our tutors from university. I asked him, "Can I come with you? I'm really interested." And my enthusiasm meant he sort of introduced me to some of the consultants who then said, oh, come along to theatre. Because I said to them, please, can I come? I want to learn. I want to uh, see what you do because I'm really interested. Um, So I ended up in theatre with David Mitchell, who was the Max Vax consultant at the time, who was the, who wrote the original book with Laura. So um, I got chatting to him and sort of my enthusiasm, I think, with what they were doing and the fact I'd gone on my day off to spend time and learn about what they were doing must have stand up, stood out to him. So then they needed some student reviewers for a previous edition of the book and I sprung to mind because of sort of the effort I'd put in. I was going into theatre and sort of helping, you know, organise stuff, do paperwork, yeah. whatever. So they asked me to review the book and, again, gave 100%, gave it back to them with loads of feedback um, I helped them sort of there was a book signing I spread the word for them got students to go and I never expected something to come of it on this scale I thought it's great experience I'm learning about how books are written behind the scenes and then they approached me asking me to write a book so Oxford University Press asked me to write a book that they had this idea for and I think I was in fourth year of uni and I said no for two reasons one of them was I had too much on to do it justice and also because I felt there was another book that was too similar, which would mean that mine would be redundant. It was not worthwhile and sort of advised them on that. And again, that's back to the topic of knowing when to say no, because I knew that would compromise my ability to finish university. And again, I think that stood out to them that I was being sensible, I was being helpful and not just taking anything I could get. So when the time came for the handbook to have a new editor, I sort of sprung to mind and he was a consultant in Leeds and had other colleagues in Leeds. So my efforts hadn't gone unnoticed in general with the rest of the team. So when he, they were discussing different people who could contribute, my reputation with all of them was good. And that's not in a blow my own trumpet kind yeah. of way, but just from effort. That's just a, that's just a fact, yeah, isn't it? Consistent yeah, consistent effort with everything. 
because I had no idea anything like this would come from it. But it, why, why would an editing company, a consultant in the hospital and then a dentist end up together discussing me? But because I had consistently tried with all of them, even the conference I organised in second year, one of the MaxFax team came to speak at it and saw my organisation on the day. And yeah. I'd just given so much. No one so- could sort of fault me yeah. when the names were being suggested. Um, and that's now finished, hasn't it? So that's yeah. getting released next year. Hopefully June. Uh, this, this, yeah, ne- yeah, next year, June. yeah. So, and you're the, the editor for the yeah, foreseeable future. Yeah, and Professor Canatus, who, so he's taken on the sort of surgery and medicine half, and then I've been updating the general dental yeah. side and overseeing contributors who've helped us check for accuracy and ensure that it's all up to date. And I suppose then from now on, in, you know, you're talking about how you came to dentistry without a huge amount of necessary direction. <laughs> what are you thinking from now on then? Have, have you set yourself goals now, you know, yeah. or is it more sort of random, see what happens, evolution and just go with yeah. the flow? Are you, are you, have you got goals now? I think strangely I'm at a bit of a crossroads in that more of it is go with the flow at the minute and even that's a difficult thing to almost say or admit to when I'm so like, go all this or tick this yeah. off. Um, but I'm in a really good place and I'm really enjoying the work I'm doing and I don't feel I've plateaued yet. And I invested quite heavily early on in my career on courses to improve skills and learn in ways that I could immediately start applying in general practice day to day. And I feel like now it's just a period of time of actually implementing those things and just getting better at what I'm doing building my relationship with my patients and building my reputation in the practice with our patients as well. And I'm quite happy having that as a goal, you know, just to keep growing into the role. And well, I guess you can never speak forever, but I don't see myself specializing or going back into the hospital. Um, It's just not something which I want to do at the minute, but I do see areas where I think, well, actually I may want to do further qualifications to enhance the treatment I'm providing on a yeah. day-to-day basis. I'm quite interested in the diploma in orthodontics as well. Yeah. Just because I obviously want to do the best I can for my patients. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of happy not having any aggressive goals right now because I've done yeah. so much intense work, setting a lot of things up. I'm enjoying just working on those as they're happening. And the health, it's not called the healthcare, honey. Oh, uh, yeah. So, because you. It's hard, <laughs> yeah. No, it was aimed at women because I felt that would be most relatable for me to sort of help people who are basically me, but a few years ago. Um, but just just um, just for people, it's uh, healthcare, honey. It's, it's to do with mental health, mindset, yeah, goal so it's setting, like a bit of a, kind of Yeah, a bit of a, a program you could work through with different sections on goal setting. Um, overcoming problems and finding solutions and working in practice but I found a lot of sort of males as well and people who I didn't think would find me relatable were sort of messaging me and contacting me saying oh I I don't think you've done the right thing here basically which is is fine and I appreciated the feedback so um, I'm always careful not to bite off more than I can chew or sort of position myself inappropriately where Maybe I'm not the right person to be advising or teaching on a certain topic. And with that, again, I felt like, oh, maybe I'm only relatable to women who are three years younger. And as it transpired, a lot more people said they would have benefited from that. So it no longer has a name (laughs) Um, because I found that actually people are just really enjoying having something to 
as a guide, something to use yeah. and to look at that's maybe not as branded or tailored as I initially thought it would need to be. And where can that get found? So is that how do you how would you find that? So at the minute you can just contact me directly. So it's just at Dr. Full Stop Bethany Rushworth on Instagram or Bethany Rushworth at Outlook.com is my work email. I try and respond to everyone as quick as I can. The reason for that is it's still sort of in development and I have to be a little bit careful how things are interpreted and that people using it aren't necessarily taking it as gospel because it's just my opinion and my experience and yeah. ways that I think I can help people. So um, I'm hoping it'll just be on my website, bethanyrushworth.com, yeah. free to just access for anyone. But while I'm just in the process of making sure it's really good, so the objective is that it's going to be a like a resource that that people can use to. It's like almost like a like a little self development resource. Yeah, it's like a little program. It? It's eight yeah. weeks. You work on a week at a time. There's exercises to fill in. There's different boxes where you write your thoughts, and then there'll be another section which then structures and guides you to work through what you've done on the previous section to kind of develop yourself and hold your hand throughout the process. Things yeah. which I've learned through trial and error. Um, I basically just put into one package that worked for me to try and help yeah. others brilliant that's quite i think that'd be quite a useful thing so i think people need to pay attention to that don't they and will it be on your instagram when it's done will you be promoting yeah. it a little bit yeah it'll be a lot more obvious um i think initially obviously like we've said a lot of it's developing and learning as you go along and when i say i'm just a dentist i'm not a psychiatrist i'm not a psychologist i'm not a brand expert i'm not a graphic designer and mm you're sort of trying to take put on all these hats and do it all yourself and there will be errors and yeah. for me I thought oh, having a bit of a name and a brand is is going to make it more likely that people will want to use it whereas actually it didn't turn out to be necessary but then I may find out in the future it is so I'm quite yeah. happy to adapt and change it as I go along. Brilliant now I think it's important for people who are listening to sort of just hear things coming from you because I think on the surface and I, I did this you think you've got it together, everything's fine. Mm. You know, you are very driven, mm. goal-oriented, everything's, str you know, very controlled. But I think it just shows how the human side of things were. Mm. You know, we all have anxieties that we need to work on. We all have stresses that that happen to us that we need to, to work on. Ideally, things aren't done in isolation. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, did you, did you reach out to people? Yeah, I wrote yeah. to about a hundred different magazines saying, can I write an article for you? And one replied, yes. Yeah. But then once I'd written for that one, the next time I wanted to, or I was approached, I could say, yes, I've written for such and such a newspaper or yeah. such and such a magazine. And it wasn't all just given to me on a plate. So when I got my work experience when I was 14, there was no mention of, well, my dad's a dentist, so, and he didn't get me the work experience. Yeah. I wrote to the dental hospital and took the letter there myself and chased it up myself. And I got a job in a cafe when, again, when I was 14 on a school trip, when I was in there, I said, can I have a job here? Cause I thought, oh, this is yeah. quite close to my home and got myself a Saturday job. So I've always worked. I've always, even to the point where I used to go in my house when I was about six or seven and try and find stuff to sell, to make money, to buy myself a new pencil yeah. case. So I've always worked yeah. and I've always sort of pushed myself. With regards to where things go from now, if we just kind of go back to yeah. that. You know, you're saying that at the moment you feel quite happy. That yeah. You don't necessarily have a huge amount of pushing in one particular direction. Mm. You're happy to allow things to just evolve and, and, and happen as they do. Yeah. 
do you think that if people, I'm trying to think of a way to, to phrase this. What I'm wanting to do is try and get what your advice would be to somebody who is feeling that pressure at yeah. the moment, whether it's a student who's feeling the pressure of yeah. exams or an associate or whoever. Yeah. Have you got any specific piece of advice to help? Do you think? I think that any it's never too late to change your direction and to improve on where you're at and the situa- situation you're in. And sometimes taking a step back and looking at what's really important to you and then making coming up with sort of structured steps on how to get there. And that will apply for anyone. So thinking, oh, I'm really not happy in my job or I'm not happy doing private work or NHS, think, well, what can I do to change this? And for me, I'm always quite happy if I've got a plan and a system to get to where I want to be. So if anyone's sort of struggling, I think feeling that you can seek advice and help is really important and not being afraid to speak to your doctor and speaking to other people family, friends, colleagues, bosses, whoever, if you are struggling. Um, but in terms of working on it for yourself, writing things down and coming up with a plan, identifying where the problem is and identifying solutions and coming up with a structure on how you can get there and just never being afraid to put yourself out there. And if someone laughs at you, who cares? Again, the five-minute rule, five-week rule, you're not going to be bothered. Um, you only get one life. So if you're not happy, then do something about it. And yeah, it's difficult for certain people say you've got young children, financial restrictions, maybe you can't just go and volunteer in a private practice. That might not be possible. But looking at what is possible for you and not comparing yourself to where other people are, because you don't necessarily know their story or their journey, or it can also be what the story they're selling or saying is different to what's actually the truth or how they got there. Yeah. But not being afraid to work hard for it. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and so where, I know you mentioned it earlier, but yeah. where can people find you then? So if people want to follow you or connect, uh, where? BethanyRushworth.com is mainly for my patients. So just patient information um, and about sort of pricing treatments that we offer here at Ivory Dental Practice in Horsforth. My Instagram is at doctor, so dr. Rushworth, um, And they're basically the two main platforms which I use. BethanyRushworth at Outlook.com is my work email but I tend to be able to be more responsive on Instagram because it comes straight to my phone and it's a bit less formal. Yeah. And I do think that people listening should check Beth out because I do find that looking, I mean, I follow Beth and, you know, the posts are quite inspirational. It's quite informative. And I think especially the younger dentists and students, it does seem quite aspirational. So I do think it's, it's important to check her out. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this, we've just found out that she's won the Fast Track 4. <laughs> yep. She's a finalist for private dentistry, uh, young, young dentist for private dentistry was 2019. And the dentistry, the dentistry awards, awards yeah. 2019. So watch this space. By the time this has been released, I'm sure we'll have found out she's won both of those. Um, <laughs> well, we can hope. <laughs> but I'm happy with one out of three so yeah, far. Yeah, no, and it's, that's a really good one as well. You know, I'm, I'm very, uh, I've said it earlier, I'm very proud of you. Aww, you thanks. know, I am. Um, because it's well deserved. <laughs> Thank so, you very much. Um, yep. I want to say thank you to Beth. We've got patients soon, so we've got to get back to them. And I want to hopefully see everybody else and speak to you guys next time on the Dental Business Podcast. Mm-hmm.